good morning, Mountaintop Church. How y'all doing? Yeah, I feel good too. Listen, I said y'all because I'm from the South, specifically Houston, Texas. Do I have any Texas? Oh, I'm a little shocked right now. I'm, sh I'm in love already. I'm in love already. There's something special about you right there, you in the back. I felt your spirit, okay? I knew you were from Texas because you're a little loud. You're a little loud. I'm not going to lie. I, um, I love Houston, Texas, y'all, with every fiber in my being. Like, I am Texas all the way. And I love Texas specifically for the donuts. I don't know if you guys are hip to the Shipley's donuts. Oh, yes, I know. Someone else just screamed. They just got on the bandwagon. There's Shipley's donuts in the back. I just want to say that publicly. And I said, I will come back to this church anytime. Feed me donuts. I'm down for the cause. Um, we'll give it up for your incredible pastor, uh, Carter and Emily, who I just met, who I love already. What an incredible church. I got to say, y'all, I'm a mama, okay? And I just got to say, when I come to church, I look for the children's church. And I think it's pretty darn amazing that you guys are already holding down the fort for these sweet little babies, but also that you're going to be intentional about building a children's wing. That was me that screamed for that, as if I'm coming here, okay? I'm a member now. I stay here, okay? Um, but what an incredible campaign. I'm so excited. I, I'm all into the four campaign because my husband and I were at North Point Ministries for years and years and years under the leadership of Andy Stanley. We got to serve under Jeff Henderson, who really started to originate this four campaign. And I don't know if you know it or if it's your first time here and you have no idea what the four means. But let me just say this for years and years and years, the church was known for what it was against. And now the church is saying, we want to be known for what we're for. And we're for God's people. We're for people that come into these four walls and just belong before they even believe anything at all. And so I just got to say, I am here for four Birmingham, okay? It's a great campaign. I'm telling you, I have to just kind of leave right now. I feel like I've done my job here, you know? Um, well, as uh, Pastor Carter said, I am married to the love of my life, Sam Collier. He's so cute, and I love him very much, and he is a huge part of my redemption story. And you know how, like, the pastors are like, check out my wife. Look at, oh, my gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not about to see my man, okay? I'm not putting any pictures up there, okay? I don't want you looking at him, all right? No, ladies, okay? Just kidding. <laughs> We've been married um, for, gosh, like about seven years now, and he is, again, a major part of my redemption story. We have a four-month-old little baby that we just had. I know, I'm fresh. I'm fresh, girls. I mean, that means so much right now. I'm four months postpartum, which means I'm just sweating all the time, okay? I, I actually don't even know why I wore white. It was a mistake, okay? I am just sweating and I'm tired and I'm out of breath all the time for some odd reason. And I still got a little bit of indigestion. So if I take like an awkward pause, it's not because I want to be holy. It's because I got to get a burp out. I just got to, I just got to quickly do one of those little numbers. Okay. Um, you'll notice it. You'll see it. Because I had about five Shipley's Donuts in the back, which was a mistake. A mistake. Um, but we, we love our little son. He's so cute. He's the best. And I'm so grateful that we have him. We also have a daughter. We call her our eight-year-old strong-willed blessing because it makes us feel better at night. Okay? Any strong-willed blessing parents in the room? It's okay. We'll escort you out into the prayer room, put some holy oil on you or something like that because it is real out here. Now, I did bring a picture of sweet little Dylan, though. Where is it at? It's oh, Boom. There she goes. I, that's how, I know. That's the problem. She knows she's cute. This is the actual issue. And no one asked her to pose like this. She was like, I got it, mom. Poop, poop, poop. Here we go. Um, I love Dylan. I love to show this little picture. And anytime she's in the crowd with me, she's like, oh, mom, that was one of my cutest pictures. I'm like, yeah, girl, I know. She's got a little pride in her, if we're going to be honest about it. 
But it's okay because I bring another picture. We're going to get that next picture up. Okay, this is the picture I really bring just to show her about humility. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this is what you really look like. I can't wait till she graduates because I'm bringing this with me. And I'm going to force them to let me on stage. I'm going to be the graduation speaker. And I'm going to show this picture. And I'm going to say, you didn't even brush your teeth that morning, okay? And I, I love this picture so very much because it, uh, she has this little coloring box in her hands that she used to take everywhere. And there's a, a little story behind this coloring box that I want to share with y'all today as we enter into this brand new series. I can't believe I get to kick off the series called Grown Up Prayers. I'm so excited about it. Now, my most favorite thing about being a mom is the preschool age. I love it. I love it specifically because I get to pick my kid up from school. And it's kind of like you're on, like you're Santa Claus every day. You walk down the hall, you get to like the room door, you open open it up and the kids just like, mom, and they have like, like the little veins are popping out like Pokemon. I mean, it is intense, but it's so cute. And they run to you and they're just wrap their little legs around your, or wrap their little arms around your legs. And they're like, mom. And I'm like, oh, I just wish they kept you a little longer. Okay. Those Mother's Morning Out programs, it goes quick. It's so quick. But I remember one day I was picking Dylan up from school and I was walking down the hall, regular thing. I opened the door and there's no Dylan. Now, again, I'm, a, I'm from Texas. I am freshly saved, okay? Got off the Salvation bus about 10 years ago, okay? And I said, wait a minute, where's my daughter? And the teacher was like, no, 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 everything's okay. I'm like, I know, but where's she at? Like, what's going on? Am I going to have to fight someone else's kid? Like, what's happening, okay? Just kidding. Um, and she said, no, actually, we set up this art corner, and Dylan has been coloring all day. She's just so excited about it. Now, I don't know where you land on the Enneagram. I don't know where I land on the Enneagram, but people call me a three, okay? Like an achiever, all right? Which means I like to crush it every single day. I'm a winner through and through. Okay. Also, maybe that's a little bit of Texas in me anyways. So when they tell me, this teacher tells me that my daughter is just this excited about art. The first place my head goes is she's going to be the next Picasso. Like it just kind of flows right there. And she's maybe going to take me to Paris one day and I need to get on Amazon. I need to order a beret. I mean, I am in. Okay. She's two. Okay. And I mean, don't try to judge me because you've done it. Okay. You have done it, parents in the room, okay? Your little baby does a front row. You're like, whoa, the next Gabby Douglas, Simone Biles. She, like, hits a note in the shower. It's like, Taylor Swift, is that? Wait a minute. I don't really know what boys do yet, okay? But they, like, throw a ball, I don't know, across the living room or something like that. You're like, Tom Brady. I mean, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. It's the only athlete I know. Um, but I, I get so excited. I scoop Dylan up. I take her to Target, working on my French. Paris, Target. Someone just got it. Okay, great. We're just gonna keep it moving here. We hadn't had it in our coffee, the 915 crowd. Okay, so we get to Target and I mean, I go crazy, y'all. I mean, I get like the little, the board with like dry erase on one side, the little easel with like the chalkboard on the other side. I get like the craft paper. I'm like carrying it through Target. The people are like, ma'am, do you need any help? I'm like, no, I'm crushing it. And I mean, it's crazy. I put everything in the cart. I mean, coloring books, frozen, hashtag let it go. I mean, all the things. Then I get down the Crayola owl. And let me just tell you friends, the Crayola owl is different today, okay? When we were growing up, it was a Crayola corner, okay? We, all we had was a little pack of crayons and maybe some markers. Possibly they were not washable, which was a mistake on their part. But now today, the Crayola Owl is like Disneyland. I mean, it's got like glitter glue and shimmer glitter glue. I mean, all kinds of things, craft papers, all the things. But what it has that I know you remember is this right here. Hold on. Hold on for one second here. It is the 64 box. Oh, I, somebody said I felt that in my soul. Okay. What was in the back? Oh, you went, you get a shirt. I can't do that. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I got excited. I just wanted to give you something. Ah, uh, it's a four shirt coming to you. I don't know. Okay, here we go. Okay, sorry about that. Okay. The 64 box of crayons, y'all. I mean, when my mom brought this home, I was like, I'm about to color all day. 
you know? It's like the iPad and the stylus to the kids these days, okay? I got so excited to get this for Dylan. I put it in the car. I get to the checkout line. I'm like praying that my card goes through because I have gone a little crazy. Everything goes through. We get back home. I set her up. I built my own little art corner, much better than her teachers. Anyways, a little competitive. And I set Dylan on up and I was like, let God use you. You're going to be the next Picasso, my sweet little protege. We're going to Paris, me and you, my girl. I go in the kitchen. I'm cooking her favorite meal, Paschetti. It's her thing. And there's two things that when you know about kids, whether you have them or you don't, or you're like an older sibling, or you've just been around these whippersnappers in children's church, okay? Two things we need to know. They break things, okay? That's number one. They break things on purpose. They break things on accident. They break things on purpose, make it look like an accident, okay? All right? And then number two, there's this quiet that comes over the room. Oh, I know. Someone just got PTSD just right then and there. Maybe your pits are sweating. I don't know, okay? There's this quiet that comes over the room, and you know someone's lost an eye. Like, it's just something has gone awry here, okay? That quiet comes over the room that day. I go back in the living room, and all over the floor are little piles. I brought a picture for you. This is just a small corner, okay? I know. I know. I know. Okay? Dylan has robbed these crayons of their dignity. Okay? <laughs> All their little clothes are off. They're naked. It's crazy. Okay? And she's quite literally just like sitting on the ground on her belly like nothing's happened at all. She's just got the legs kicked up. She's just coloring her little, her little coloring chart. And I said, Dylan, what happened, babe? Like what's, what, what's going on? She turns to me with her two-year-old sassy little self, always been sassy, and says, Mommy, color. And then she just swipes a crayon at me, licks it, and keeps it going. And I'm like, you have no idea what's going on right now. You don't even know. Now, what I imagine her little two-year-old brain was saying was like, okay, yeah, mom, I broke the crayons, but they still work, and then just kept it moving. Well, I scooped her up, put her to bed, didn't give her any dinner. I'm just kidding. Okay. Someone is like, okay, probably shouldn't have brought her out. Um, no, I, ga I gave her dinner. Everything was great. Okay, I put her to bed. I'm coming back down the stairs, and now I have to clean up all these crayons. And listen, let me just tell you, we didn't have this fancy carpet that's in here, okay? We didn't have the little thin carpet where you can do any, I mean, you can just like ice skate on this, okay? We had the carpet with like the baby dreads coming up from the top, from the bottom, you know? It's like a little twist, and then it flips over. You know what I'm talking about, okay? So imagine me trying to scrape up all these crayons. They're flipping over my hands. I'm marking my carpet, and then I start crying, okay? Because I'm dramatic, okay? Surprise. I'm crying, and I'm like, this is my life. Like, it's so broken. Like, you know when you just hit a point, okay? It's not about the crayons. It's about everything else. I'm like, this is my life. It's so crazy. Then I take a second to stop and go in the bathroom and watch myself cry. The only reason why only women are laughing right now is because you've done it, girls, okay? And unfortunately for the men in the room, they're like, what? Do you do that? Yeah, we just want to see how ugly we are. I don't know. We're just like, oh my goodness, wow, okay. I watch myself cry, come back, and I'm cleaning everything up. And the truth is, yes, I am extremely dramatic. It is what it is. My poor sweet husband, pray for him. But also I was going through a really, really tough season in that moment. I mean, the reason why I was so nervous that my card wouldn't go through is because at that point I was a single mom to a sweet little two-year-old. I'd gone through an abusive marriage and it was really toxic. And I remember the day that I saw fear in my daughter's eyes for the first time. And I said, we have to go. I also had transitioned out of a really toxic church. Uh, you know, there was church hurt there, which is relative for everybody. And and it was tough. It was my job. I was a youth pastor. I'd been on stages and, and everything just crumbled. I mean, we were on WIC and food stamps and financial assistance, and my parents was helping me out. And then at some point, we had to move out of our small little place, and we had to go and live with another single mom and her daughter. 
it was a tough season. And what it felt like is that everything was broken. Like quite literally, everything was just shattered. My finances, my marriage, my ministry, my purpose in life. I mean, the only thing that I had was this cute little girl. And what I was trying to do by buying her all that stuff was not be a dance mom out here. What I was trying to do is just give her an opportunity to still create beauty in what felt like ashes in our life. And I think the question that I want to ask you today as we dive into this new series, Grown Up Prayers, is just this question right here. Like, have you ever felt broken? Like, stuff just is not panning out. It's just not going well. You've tried everything that you could for your marriage. You're, you're invested in it. You're going to counseling. You're doing. You're praying everything that you can. The job that you've been looking for because you were laid off or you lost your job during COVID. I mean, you've been filling out applications and submitting resumes. Or maybe it's something just a little bit more deep. Maybe it's something that happened to you when you were a child and it just keeps on coming up over and over and over again. Maybe it was the addiction that took you out. Maybe it was the death that you had to grieve and hold during a really hard season. I don't know what has broken you because I don't know each and every one of your stories, but I am thinking that in a room this size, that we've all felt broken at some point, or maybe right now in this moment you do. And the truth is that's just the way our world works. We live in a fallen, broken world and we experience brokenness. But the question is, what do we do with that? Well, the first thing that we get to do is to go back and look at what God's word says about it. The truth says about brokenness, about our weaknesses, about the things that we carry, the, the grievings and the longings. And what I, what I enjoy about the Bible so much specifically is the New Testament because I love the Apostle Paul very much. One, particularly because he's a little crazy, so he makes me feel a little bit more normal. I'm like, if God can use that, brother, he can use me too, Okay. I mean, Paul, when he was Saul, was essentially a Christian bully. Like, that's what he was. He went from Christian bully to a Christian leader. I mean, that's crazy. And, and I won't go through the whole story of Paul, but the truth is he wasn't just like this raggedy guy. He was a really prestigious man when he was Saul. He knew the law through and through. So much so, the high priest gave him an assignment to go and start condemning and, and, and sentencing people that believed in this new Jesus the way to death and ripping them out of their homes, tearing families apart, putting them in prison. I mean, that's who this guy was. He has this moment with Jesus, and Jesus is like, bro, chill. Okay, he didn't say that, but kind of. He was like, what are you doing? I want to use you. And so he starts using Paul, and Paul starts to plant churches. He writes over half the New Testament, all these things. He's raising leaders up, and he plants this church in a place called Corinth. And they're doing great at first. You remember the first time you got saved, you were like, I'm going to just get everybody saved. I'm going to sprinkle holy oil all over the place. You know, it was just a little weird, kind of. He was so excited. The church is doing so great. And then they're not because they're human. They start getting boastful about the things that they have. They start, you know, separating. There's discourse. There's all sorts of things going on. And so Paul starts to write these letters. And he has them delivered by Timothy and other people. And he's writing them to kind of course correct and call them back to God. And I love 2 Corinthians because he gets really vulnerable. I mean, if you really like listen to and read the, the teachings of Paul, I mean, he's really directive. But in this particular book, he gets very vulnerable and honest. In chapter 11, he starts to talk about all the things that he's done for the kingdom of God. He's like, look at all that I've done. I've been on boats. I've been starving. I mean, it's crazy. I've been in jail. I've been beaten. I've gotten 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes. 
That number is significant because they said that they, they, they had deemed 40 lashes the point of death for anyone who received it. And for Paul, he had gone through that four or five times. I mean, he's telling them, if there's anyone that should be boasting, guys, it's not you. <laughs> it's me. And he's kind of being sarcastic a little bit because then he says, but then I've got this thorn in my side. I don't know what your thorn is, what you're carrying in today, but Paul says, I've got this thorn in my side. And when I plead with Jesus about it, this weakness, here's what he says to me. And this is what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says that, that Jesus responds, these letters are in red in the Bible. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul keeps writing, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, not the things that make me, the things that break me, so that Christ's power will rest on me. Now, I'm going to switch the scripture up a little bit because I have the mic and I'm in charge. Um, I'm just changing out weakness with brokenness because I like brokenness better. I'm not a heretic. It's synonymous. But I want to unpack this scripture for a second because I think it is important for us to get the foundation of our imperfections so that we can begin to pray the right prayers, not the pretend prayers, not the for the Bible told me so prayers, but the prayers that we actually need. In this scripture, at the beginning, it's Jesus speaking to Paul. I love that he gets so intimate and vulnerable in this way because he's giving all of us a sneak peek at his intimate relationship with Jesus and how Jesus responds to Paul, which is also how he responds to you and me. See, this first part said by Jesus is, is really a declaration to all of our weakness. He's saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. I've got a grace and it's sufficient for you and your story and your mess and your pain and all the things you've been through. I think maybe he just knew that we'd be the ones to look at our left and right and fall into the comparison trap. And he needed us to know that you don't have to look to your left and right. You don't have to compare your story with someone else's or your pain with someone else's. I've got a grace and it's sufficient for you. And also my power is made perfect in your brokenness. And that's real cute. And oftentimes as Christians, we use the first part of scriptures just to make God seem like real big and all this to seem like Teletubby land. It's like, yeah, God's got a grace. It's sufficient for me. It's sufficient for you. Someone comes to you in pain. God's grace is sufficient. Yeah. But there's a part that we get to play. There's a response. There is a therefore in the scripture. Paul says to them, reminds them, teaches them, teaches us today that therefore we should boast all the more gladly about our brokenness so that Christ's power will rest on us. But we don't want to be broken, right? We do not want to be broken. No, we want to have it all together. We want to have it so perfectly great. For the ladies in the room, we, we want to draw our eyebrows on and we want them to look like sisters, not cousins, okay? <laughs> Someone got that. I love that for you. Guys, I'm coming to you in the room right now. I'm going to call you out. You're on the football field, you're living your best life, you know, I don't really know what you do, I don't really know how to, okay, what do you do? You're like this, this is what you're like, right? You're getting ready to throw the ball. We've all seen the little boy gets, gets tackled, knocks the wind out of him, doof, falls to the ground, he's like, whoa. Everybody comes up, dude, 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 you're okay, you're okay, that was a hard hit, man, what did he do? Yeah, dude, I'm fine. It's like, really? Because we just heard your ribs crack just a second ago, I don't know. We put on this, this, this armor to protect us from our imperfections. I mean, it's no wonder we live in a world that thrives off of highlight reels. 
But I think someone needs to know today that in order for us to start praying real, honest, grown-up prayers, we've got to get real honest about the things that break us. I mean, the world teaches us that it's perfection that gets us to success, when really it's surrender. Really, it's us coming and pleading with the Lord. Here, here's what I put in the next slide. I love this so much as I started to study. The, the truth is we are imperfect people. We are wired for struggle, but we're still worthy of love and belonging. Brene Brown says this. I love it so much. Because it is the truth. We are imperfect people. We have to accept that. It's a principle. Sun goes up. It comes down. It is a principle. We are imperfect. We are wired for struggle. Unfortunately, thanks to Eve. You know what I'm saying? But we're still worthy of love and belonging. And let me just ask you this. How much more does it mean to be worthy of love and belonging when someone knows how imperfect you are? Come on, it's so easy to love the, the perfect person. We all have like a Susan in our lives. This is what I call her. It's either Susan or like Rick. And they're just like happy. You know? You got that person in your life just smiling all the time. It's like, be angry, Susan. I'm sick of this. <laughs> Cut it out, Rick. Stop bringing cheese dip to the football games. You and your wife are just so happy. But it is so easy to love that person. It's like they never do anything wrong. Anything wrong. They say all the right things. It's awesome. Okay, but for those of us in the room who are not perfect, hello somebody, sometimes it's a little hard. So when you go to your people, when you go into your small groups, when you start understanding that life change happens in circles and not rows, and you look someone in the eye and you say, man, I'm really struggling with this. I'm bringing my marriage to this small group because we're a little broken right now. I'm really tired of being single. <laughs> I'm really feeling lonely, and I can't for some reason differentiate the difference between lonely and alone. I know I'm never alone, but it feels like it. When you start bringing all that stuff to people and they look you in the eye and say, I still love you the same. You still belong here. It means something more. Here's the truth right here. That when we admit our brokenness, we start praying more honest prayers. It just works like that. I don't know about you, but I grew up, again, I'm very competitive, but I grew up with a dad who wasn't really present. I mean, he was in the house, he was married, but he worked all the time, and he, said, he never said he was proud, ever. And so I strived for that. I did everything. I was captain of the cheerleading team, and I was doing this, and when it didn't feel like he would actually give me any validation, and unfortunately, my dad was really verbally abusive, when it felt like everything he said was so negative, gosh, I just started turning to other things to numb. Unfortunately, in my story, there's sexual abuse from family members. Lost my virginity at 13, went to drugs and alcohol at 14 and 15, left my parents' house at 16, just longing for attention. I remember that when I got saved for the first time at 21, I, I didn't want to really bring things to God that was like icky. Because how many of you know that the same way that we experience our earthly relationships is the same way we start to apply our heavenly relationship to? We start thinking that God is like that. God is like that person. God is like that situation. And so for me, I would bring all my good stuff to God. God, look at what I did. Look at, look at this. I'm a youth pastor now, and I'm leading the youth, and I've, we're, our numbers are growing. But I couldn't come to him and say, God, I... That argument last night with my husband was really tough. There's doors ripped off the hinges and holes punched in the walls. It's, 
God, I need you to step in and show me the way. I need you to come and save me. Because it wasn't until I admitted that our marriage was broken that I could bring that honest prayer to God and have him mend it. And for some of you in the room, you just want God to be proud. And so you bring him all your beautiful trophies and everything that you've done. And what he's really longing for is for you to bring him your tears. I love this scripture, Psalm 6, 6. Gosh, David is intense. Let me just say that. He goes to the Lord. He says, I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. This is in the Bible, by the way. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of my foes. I mean, this is a man who is after God's heart, who knows the Lord with everything. And these are the honest prayers that he's praying. I mean, his bed, it's flooded with weeping. How many of you in the room have drenched your couch with tears? Ones that maybe you've allowed other people to see, but maybe not. The ones you've cried by yourself. I love the rest of the scripture. David keeps going and he, and he says this. He says, away from me, all you who, de- who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayers. What a reminder to know that even the prayers that don't really have it all together, they're not eloquent, they don't mention a whole bunch of scripture, they're not really great. Those honest, hard, vulnerable, in-the-dark prayers are accepted by the Lord. They're accepted by him. Okay, Tony, so what do I do? We've got some practical patties in the room. Hello, I'm a practical patty. I'm like, give me a little bit, okay. Here's the first thing I want you to do. Let God fix it. There are some things that your wife cannot fix. I know she's really good at finding things. I know, okay? We crush it every time, okay? There are some things that your husband cannot fix. You've made him your Holy Spirit, and he cannot be because he can't hold that. There are some things that your friends cannot fix, that Netflix cannot fix, that football cannot fix with a little beer on the side. I'm not not judging you, okay? There are some things that the idols in your life cannot fix. They're just numbing. They're just numbing. There are the places that really hurt. Those are the places that only God can fix. And here's the truth, my friends. Where our strength runs out, God's strength begins. I don't know if you grew up in a church that taught you that God's like this, this dude, like all the way at the end of the tunnel, waiting for you to clean everything all up. But really... He's in the tunnel lighting the way. He's on the sidelines saying, put me in, coach. I've got some power for your weakness. Just come to me. That's who he is. For some of us, we've run and given our problems over. And I'm not talking about you, oh, my job did this and this happened. No, I'm talking about the thing that keeps you up at night, the thing that you haven't brought to your small group, the thing that you didn't tell anyone because you haven't even been able to be honest about it with your own self. I'm talking about the the word that was spoken over you as a little girl, as a boy. I'm talking about that, that imaginary expectation to be perfect that's always in your head. I'm talking about the things that break you. It's those things that God wants to reach in and mend, tend to. He is a God of witness, closeness, and he does his best work in the broken places. The best work. 
So we got to let God fix some things. The second thing that I think I would love to encourage you to do is to be brave enough to be broken. I mean, before there was a book, which is what the book is titled now, which is awesome. There was this phrase, I have been preaching this over and over again to myself first and then to others over and over and over again. Be brave enough to be broken. And everyone's like, oh, it's kind of like a little oxymoron because bravery, brokenness, like how do you do both? Well, it doesn't take a lot of courage to be perfect. It doesn't take a lot of courage to pretend that everything's fine. Oh, my little baby's doing so good. Everything's great. He's got a full right scholarship. That doesn't take, take a lot of courage. It takes courage to show up and say, yeah, I've been really battling with this thing. I've been really, really struggling with this addiction. I've had some temptations lately. It takes bravery to be broken. And I'm excited because as Pastor Carter said, my book is here. I'm kind of surprised. It came out on Tuesday. I'm like, whoa, they really uh, fast shipped that. And I love this book. I, I love what I've been able to write because it's not about my story. Like I can stand up and preach. I've been preaching my story for years and years now. It's about your story. It's about healing yours. It's about a roadmap, a biblical roadmap to, to start navigating the healing journey. Because here's the truth. God does want holy people, but he wants whole people as well. Because how many of us know that person that knows the, the Bible's front and back, scriptures front and back, but they mean a little bit, okay? It's like, okay, it's weird. You know God, but you're not like him. Maybe you're just a fan of God, but you're not a follower, because followers look like who they're following. Followers pray like who they're following. And if we remember correctly, Jesus was a prayer warrior. Intimate time with God, teaching the disciples how to pray. That is what he modeled. If we were to be more like him, we'd be more like Jesus in, in Gethsemane and when he's praying and pleading with God and warring with him. That's who we get to be like. That's who we get to be brave enough to be like. Now, I want to leave you with this phrase. It's a phrase that, that I just think we get to carry into this next season. It's when we pray honest prayers, our redeeming God comes for us right in the middle of our mess. I want you to know that your prayers are being heard. God has not left you. He is waiting for your honest prayer so he can come in and mend some things. I dare you this week, instead of bringing your praise report to God, bring the things that's been bothering you. Now watch him fill that space. Watch him come for you in the middle of your mess. He's a God that doesn't leave the room no matter what. And you know what's crazy? Not only does he meet you in the middle of your prayers, but he uses you in spite of you. God will still do a great work in you if you bring your brokenness to him. He won't get ashamed. He won't cast you out. See, that was my fear. That maybe if he really knew, God knows you. And he still wants to use you. He still wants to use you to create something so beautiful in this world. But light serves no purpose without darkness. Come on. The resurrection has no power without death. Sunday would not mean as much without Friday. And I don't know what needs to die in your life. I don't know what's breaking you in your life. But I promise you that on the other side of it is resurrection. 
Now, this is the last little sticky statement here that I want to tell, tell you guys. I mean, I think my daughter was trying to teach it to me, and I take it around the world, and it's the name of my organization. It's just this. It's that broken crayon still color. Yeah, I know. I know. God knew that we would be broken, that we would make mistakes, that we'd be guilty of some things. He already knew it. And you are still his plan A. You are still his plan A. People, his sons and daughters of the church, to redeem a world that needs to know that no matter what, he's with them. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much. We thank you that we get to be in this place. We've got brothers and sisters around the world in the Middle East and some Asian countries that don't get to do this. They don't get to wake up, come to a gathering place and acknowledge that you are God and God alone. Instead, they're in hiding. And so we thank you that we get to come publicly and learn about you and serve you and be strengthened by you and your word. God, we ask that in this next season, we would begin to be as vulnerable and honest as David was in the psalm, as vulnerable and honest as Paul was as he wrote these letters to churches to remind them that God is with us in the weakness, that God is with us in our most broken valleys and that he's bringing us to mountains of hope. And even when it doesn't feel like hope is available, he says, sons and daughters, I am with you. I'm close to the brokenhearted. I revive those that are crushed in spirit. He is still with us. God, I just pray that you would inspire us this week to start praying real honest prayers. Not the ones that we learned in Sunday schools, but the ones that we need right now as adults, who are doing the best that we possibly can. Be with us, Father. Be close. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank amen. you. Amen. Amen. <laughs>